Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and thanks so much for joining us this week. This week, we continue our summer series, Jesus and the Sydney Morning Herald, where we consider contemporary issues from the perspective of faith. Our topic this week is Christians and Conspiracies. Welcome to those of you who have joined us online since we started this morning and Beck and I said good day the first time. It's great to have you with us, particularly if you're visiting with us online or on site. Uh, trust that you feel welcome and part of what it is that we're engaged in here today. Um, we are continuing our series, Jesus and the Sydney Morning Herald, where we're examining contemporary issues in the light of faith. And uh, we looked at the great resignation on the second and last week Roxanne took us through creation care. Uh, We listened to it on the way back from the wedding on Sunday morning after staying the night in the hotel. Uh, And uh, today, I'm I'm looking forward to this one since we came up with the idea and that is Christians and conspiracies. How fun is that? Uh, Now I should probably just start off by saying what this is not. Uh, I am not going to go through systematically and seek to debunk uh, all kind of the crazy ideas that might be out there. That's not what sermons are about. Uh, I don't think it's also particularly effective either. Instead, I want to deal with a, a different kind of question. And that is essentially the question of why it seems that conservative evangelicals in particular seem kind of prone to conspiracy theories. I don't know about you, but I found it a little bit concerning and more than a little bit curious when I saw on television uh, or on uh, social media uh, the the more publicized conspiracy theory rallies uh, and find amongst them all sorts of Christians. You know, holding up the banners that kind of make clear that they're Christians and they follow Jesus. And I think to myself, what's going on there? What's happened there? And so I want to kind of explore some of the aspects of our faith that make us perhaps a little bit more prone to falling into the traps of conspiracy theories. And what I'm hoping to achieve is, I guess, a little bit more awareness of our faith and about how we can proceed as followers of Jesus. So I hope you kind of stick with me on this one. If you were hoping for a bunch of debunked theories, uh, you'll have to go someplace else. There's so many theories out there, it's hard to know even where to begin. Um, Abby Richards actually has, I'm not sure if she calls it this, but I've, I've sort of started thinking about it this way, a taxonomy of different types of conspiracies, which was really helpful um, because there's a whole bunch of them out there, aren't there? So there are, for instance, conspiracies that we know have actually happened where organizations or companies or individuals have conspired to keep something from the public or to do something nefarious and they've almost gotten away with it, but we found out about it, right? Conspiracies that are real, grounded in reality. Then there's a bunch of conspiracies where we just have gaps in our knowledge and things seem a little bit suspicious and we suspect that we're not getting the full, full thing, right? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein's death is one of those. Uh, Princess Diana's death is another one of those, where there's kind of gaps in our knowledge, and I think we're kind of prone to ideas about what may have been going on in that space. Then you get into a bunch of things that are false, but are particularly not harmful. So if you want to believe that Elvis Presley is still alive someplace out there, or Avril Lavigne got body swapped, knock yourself out. Uh, It doesn't really matter too much to me. It doesn't put your life in danger, doesn't put my life in danger. We're all good. We can have a funny conversation about that at some point in time if you'd like. But then you get into some of the more dangerous ones, right? Where they're based on science denial, things like the anti-vax 
conspiracy theories. And then you get into kind of the extreme versions, which are often the ones that we see on the news or on social media, where you've got kind of the whole QAnon conspiracy in the United States. You've got these elites that are ruling the world in secret and they're all Satanists and there's alien overlords and like all that kind of stuff. Uh, where it's a lot harder to try to kind of figure out what's going on or necessarily how to debunk it. But what is going on with the fact that Christians show up at that stuff? Because we know that it's not just a matter of intelligence, right? It's not as if, you know, if your IQ is below a certain amount, well, you're just going to believe anything you're told, right? Like, we know it's not an intelligence issue. There's, there's more going on. And so I read a bunch of articles that were really kind of helpful by journalists and by theologians and thinkers about some of the aspects of Christian faith that actually do, if you think about it in a certain way, make us a little bit prone to conspiracies, now, let me be very, very clear here. The things I'm about to go through are things that you and I believe in quite firmly. But what we, realize, what we need to realize is that there needs to be some nuance. So, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5, 7, Paul the Apostle says, we live by faith, not by sight, right? We live by faith, not by sight, which is an affirmation that you find throughout Scripture, Right? that what we believe to be true about what God is doing and about what God is on about needs to be our priority even though it may conflict with what we see and experience in our lives, right? I am right down with that, right? So let me be clear here. I'm not saying that that's a problem. I'm not saying that that's not Christian. I'm not saying that that's not orthodox. But we do need a little bit of nuance, don't we? Because if we prioritize faith over evidence, we can end up with a blind faith that requires no evidence, doesn't care if there's evidence, doesn't care if there's evidence to the contrary, I'm just going to believe what I believe because I have faith. And I'm not convinced that that's actually the biblical view of faith. You follow me? The beginning of Corinthians, Paul talks about the distinction between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. He basically contrasts it between the wisdom of the world and the folly of the cross. And that for many in the world, the way we live as Christians seems absolutely ridiculous. And the wisdom, the so-called wisdom of the world, is not actually the wisdom that it's cracked up to be. And again, can any of us disagree with the scriptural and theological idea that there is the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and they're not always going to agree? That sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But again, it's kind of about the nuance. Because as soon as I start saying that, if you think I'm being foolish, I'm just, I'm just being a Christian then, right? If I have a foolish view and you think it's foolish, that's just evidence of the kingdom, versus, the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. I'm not sure that's what Paul's getting at. Or, for instance, if we end up saying that the, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God are automatically always in conflict, there's a contrast between them, but they're not always in conflict. So again, we just need a little bit of nuance in there. Are you with me on this? Then, then there are other kind of theological components, right? We believe some fairly interesting things as Christians, don't we? I mean, there is an internal theological logic to the Trinity, but it's not a rational logic, right? That we believe in one God in three persons. Theologically, I can outline for you the logic of that. Like I can explain to you why that is the way it is, 
but it's not the sort of thing that you're going to be able to kind of easily kind of pin down or take the person of Jesus. We believe, again, for theologically sound reasons that he is both fully God and fully man. Which sounds great. If you've been around the church, you've heard people say that before. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? What, he's 100% two things. Doesn't that make 200% of something? Nope, makes one of one thing. Oh, okay. Theologically, it makes sense, but rationally, it's like, oh boy, that's tough. Do you see how those beliefs can then make us a little bit more open to believing things that on the surface sound ridiculous but have an internal logic to them? Not to mention the fact that we believe that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, the prince of deception, on about trying to ruin the kingdom of God and destroy churches and take down Christians. Or consider some of the I guess contextual components of um, a, a, a conservative evangelical faith. Uh, a Baptist Church, for those of you who are visiting or uh, just joining us or have been here for a while but don't know, uh, we, would, we would classify ourselves as a conservative evangelical church, but we're not very conservative. Uh, but we're kind of within that ballpark. My upbringing, some of yours might be the same, was quite conservative. And, and one of the things that I learned as a young man, kind of subtly rather than overtly, was to distrust or mistrust science, particularly wrapped around the creation of the world. Right? And it wasn't just that there was a divide between the scientific explanation of how the world came into being and the biblical version, but there was a sense that the, 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 the scientific side was deliberately misrepresenting and misunderstanding what God had made evident clear in creation. I don't know if anyone else has had that same experience, but it's very common, I think, for conservative evangelicals to have a divide between science and faith. And regardless of kind of how you kind of fall on that perspective then, if there is a slight mistrust of scientists, when scientists show up talking about the reasons for climate change or some new miracle vaccine they just came up with, we can find ourselves a little bit mistrusting. You follow me? Or this one. One of the things that I think we would find quite, I think that we would all be able to relate with is that over the last generation or so that the influence of Christian values and morality has declined in our society, right? The horizons of what we believe that we can do and, and experience as Christians has kind of closed in a little bit compared to what it was a generation ago. And that can give us what uh, some scholars will call a history of grievance, right? A history of grievance, essentially where we can look back, <coughs> excuse me, not COVID, um, look back, and see the ways in which our government or our society has taken things away or uh, downplayed or eroded or made fun of what we have stood for, and we can end up feeling grieved. Now, our history of grievance is not that severe, right? Churches have not been closed. Properties have not been confiscated. Pastors have not been thrown into prison. Christians have not been killed for their faith in Australia. But we nonetheless know that there has been an erosion of those things, right? And so there can be a little bit of a history of grievance where we look back with a little bit of fear at what has, what has been lost and what might be lost next. And fear is a breeding ground for conspiracy. Do you remember in July, it would have been about uh, June or July 2020, we were just coming out of the first lockdown. 
uh, the heady days of the first lockdown, right? Uh, I was there. <clears throat> and um, uh, as, as we were starting to talk about reopening, right, as we were starting to talk about reopening, thank you, um, pubs, restaurants, and sporting venues got to open up first. Remember that? Does anyone remember hearing from a few Christian sources that the fact that the churches weren't allowed to open at the same time was somehow a nefarious plan? Anyone remember that? I was really spun out by it. I was really spun out by it because we had received JobKeeper and we hadn't had to deny our faith to do so. We just received JobKeeper. The health reasons were really, really clear. Singing was a super spreader. What do we do in church? We sing. Makes sense. Even economically, it made sense. Opening the churches does not help the bottom line of the New South Wales economy at all. And it was allowed them to make a health decision. Right? So certifiably false. This was not some sort of nefarious government plot, but it was interesting how quickly people were willing to jump there or lean there. And why is that? It's in part because of the fear that has come from our little history of grievance that looks at what's next. All of these things contribute just a little bit to helping conservative evangelicals lean towards conspiracies. Just a little bit. Now, I'm not suggesting that, therefore, every conservative evangelical is a conspiracy theorist, although I do wonder about Elvis. No, not really. Right? <laughs> But there's something in this for us, I reckon. How, how do we proceed? And I think that there are three, I guess, responses that I think would be valuable for us to consider. I think, first of all, we need to be very careful. In, in Matthew chapter 10, if you're wondering when I was going to get to the Bible, here it is, right? Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12. He sends out his disciples. And there are some components of this sending that are not really quite paralleled for us. They're going in twos. They are not supposed to take a bag or a staff and all of those sorts of things. But nonetheless, he says in verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Keep your eyes open. Be careful. Be careful. I don't need to tell you, I I don't think, that we live in an age not only of mass information, but of misinformation. I know you've all heard the term. I know you've all come across misinformation. And I know that you've all probably experienced the post-truth experience of misinformation. A post-truth experience Read something and wants it to be true. You know, there's that guy or that girl, that journalist or that celebrity who you really don't like, and you see something in your Facebook feed about something horrible that happened to them, and you want it to be true. That's post-truth. Whether it's true or not, you're like, oh, that feels true because I don't like them, and I can see them doing that. That's post-truth. Add post-truth to misinformation, and you have a wonderful recipe for all sorts of weirdness, right? We need to be very careful. I remember hearing a, um, a, a teacher say, you get what you pay for, and the internet is free. Keep that in mind. 
And social media, we know that social media, while it is free for us to use, is of course, uh, the desire is to make money out of it. And every communication is trying to do something, right? Advertisements are trying to make you desire and purchase something. Right? A lot of the messaging that we get. There wasn't that scandal a couple weeks ago in the, in the paper about a whole bunch of um, social influencers who we found out were actually spruiking goods that they were getting paid for without telling us? Was anybody really shocked at that? Like it kind of went in the paper and disappeared because we're all like, well, duh. Right? Now they're supposed to tell us, but we knew that that was happening. Even this sermon, this is not a, this is not a, a value neutral presentation. I'm not just kind of, kind of throwing out some valueless words and hoping that you'll construct the meaning out of it. I want to equip you for what you're going to be facing. I want to teach you to, to, to be smart and to be wise. I want us to be faithful followers of Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do here. Whether I'm successful is another matter, but that's what I'm trying to do. This is not a value-free communication. We need to be careful. You know, one of, the, one of the other kind of conservative, I wouldn't say beliefs, but practices, which you hear often in conspiracy theorists, right, is I'm just doing my own research. Gotta love that one. I remember when I did my doctoral studies, I needed to take a class on how to do research because apparently it's not an intuitive skill that we have as individuals. We need to learn to do it. You need to be able to, to read those who you disagree with and treat them fairly, even if you don't agree with them. And you need to be able to be aware of the flaws in your own argument. You need to research widely. Like, it's actually a lot harder than looking stuff up on the internet. We need to be careful. The problem for us, if I can just kind of come back to that do your own research piece, is when we turn to Scripture, I say, you should read the Bible and hear what God has to say to you. And yeah, I want to teach you to do that well and pay attention to context and have you in a community of faith that does that together. But again, there's another little piece where we're kind of taught to do our own research about the Word of God. Test every spirit. If you go to another church, and some of you are visiting us today online and here, you know, I hope that you're going to kind of put this to the test. Is this orthodox? Is this Christian? Are they, they, are they really serious about following Jesus? That's on you. Well, isn't that doing your own research? You see how it makes us just lean a little bit towards that? It just sounds a little bit like our language, just a little bit. We need to be careful. And I guess related to that, we need to be wise. One of the signs of a fool, biblically speaking, again, not about intelligence, is about only listening to other fools. We need to be wise. If you are doing your own research by yourself and only listening to other people who agree with everything you say, that sounds like the path to folly. We need to be wise about how we think about and engage with our world. It can be so overwhelming. Secondly, though, in Isaiah chapter 8, there's a fascinating little passage. In context, it's, um, it's set in a ferociously problematic time in Judah's history, in Jerusalem's history. There is a, a political alliance, a military political alliance between Israel to the north and Aram, even a little bit further north. There is a genuine, real conspiracy to replace King Ahaz with a man named Tabeel, a puppet king for these foreign powers. The city of Jerusalem is in an uproar about it, and Isaiah has come to the king to try to encourage him to stay faithful to God. 
right? There's politics going on. There's money involved. There's power involved. It's all happening. It's a really tense period of time. It's actually this period of time when we have the unto, unto us, uh, sorry, uh, the, the child, nope, the virgin will be with child and you will call him Emmanuel. That came out of this crisis. And in chapter eight, just a chapter on, have a listen to what God says through the prophet in verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. And more importantly, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. And this is in the context of fear. The city, there's hints that it was actually under siege at the time. So this is not a theoretical threat. This is a legitimate, real threat. Do not call a conspiracy everything these people call a conspiracy and do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. We are not called to be fearful. We're called to be wise. We're called to pay attention. I think it's right to be concerned about things to bring those to the Lord in prayer, to act where we can in those spaces. But when we allow ourselves to be driven by fear, we make ourselves open to all sorts of things. At the very least, apart from conspiracies, we end up shrinking our horizons right down. I don't have time or space or energy for anyone else because I'm so fearful of what I and mine may lose. We are called to an expansive, fearless life. Do not fear what they fear. And then finally, Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to be preaching on Nehemiah later this year. I've already used a couple of chapters, the passages, so I'm going to have to do some creative thinking about that when we get to this again. But chapter 6 of Nehemiah, there's a series of conspiracies that are hatched against Nehemiah. It's a fascinating passage. If I had more time, I'd take you through it, but we don't. I want to draw your attention, though, to the very beginning of it. In verse 2, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 2, they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. That's what Nehemiah is doing. And there's a whole bunch of people, politicals in the, in the region, who are unhappy about it. And they are doing everything they can to discourage the workers. They're doing everything they can to, uh, to undermine the work. And now they're trying to scare Nehemiah. Listen to what they do in verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem, two of his opponents, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And I think Ono is how you should pronounce it because it was Ono. I can't go that, right? Little, little tip there. But, he says, they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me this message and each time I gave them the same answer. And they up the ante in the next section, right? Uh, he sends them an open letter, an unsealed letter, which means anyone could have read it. And it's basically saying, you're trying to become king. And if the king of Persia learns about this, there's going to be trouble. So we should have a conversation about stopping that rumor before it gets too far. Although it may already have gotten out. I don't know. Just asking questions, right? But in each case, and this is the third thing, Nehemiah stays on purpose. He realizes what his calling is. And he is not going to be frightened by these individuals because he is carrying on a great project. You and I have been invited to participate with God the Father in his renewing work of all things in Christ Jesus through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. What a great project to be involved in. 
I don't want to stop that project because of fears that Bill Gates has put something in my vaccine. I don't want to get caught up in a bunch of things that aren't the most important thing. I don't want to lose the rep, whatever reputation we may still have in our community because we follow after all these kind of weird ideas. I want us to be a people who are not fearful, who may very well have questions, who may very well wonder about things that have taken place in the world, who may very well be suspicious of what's taking place, but who nonetheless stay on purpose. The kingdom of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God, let's not be distracted we are carrying on a great project. <laughs> I just don't have any time to figure out whether Avril Lavigne is still Avril Lavigne or not. I just really don't. The moon landing, I don't care. Like it doesn't, like I just, I want people to know Jesus. I don't want people to know that the moon landing was faked or not. I want people to know Jesus. That's what I want. I'm carrying on a great project. I will not be distracted by this stuff. We need to be careful. We need people who aren't dominated by fear. And we need to be people who keep the mission of God first and foremost. But I'd also like to say, finish with two things. While I hope that this has given us just a little bit more self-awareness, I found it fascinating reading these articles. Uh, fascinating to think that there were th elements of my faith that actually could make me lean a bit towards a conspiracy. I was like, that's just, that's helpful for me to kind of keep my eyes open in that sense. But I would also hope that it might give for us a little bit of empathy. Uh, I, I, I hope that I haven't belittled conspiracy theorists. I don't agree with what they believe. I think many of the things are pretty bizarre. But I would hope that we would have empathy, particularly towards our Christian brothers and sisters, who may indeed have fallen victim to some of these kind of bizarre ideas. And I don't know, everything I've heard says that trying to talk rationally about conspiracy theories is the wrong way to approach them. But I do wonder if instead of talking about the rationale or the logic around a conspiracy, that there might not be some space as kind of a back door for us to actually have a conversation about faith. Now, what do we do with a faith that's blind? Is that biblical faith? to actually have a conversation that may actually have some application to one of those specific conspiracies. To have a conversation about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Can we really just assume that anyone who thinks that they're wise or is part of the elite, whatever that means in our world, are therefore part of the kingdom of the world and opposed to the kingdom of God? Can we actually do that? Where you end up not talking about the conspiracy, but you talk about some of the things that are important both to me and to you. Some of the aspects of our faith, the things that we believe what we understand about how Satan may be at work in the world and what that means for us. I haven't even touched on things like apocalypticism or those sorts of aspects of the end of the world and what that means for us. But there may be a bit of a back door for us to have a conversation of faith that's not actually wrapped around the conspiracy itself, but around some of the things that perhaps lead us there just a little bit. So again, if you came hoping for a debunking of your Uncle Ralph's ideas, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not the man for that. Uh, but if this is, I hope this has been valuable to increase your self-awareness, to increase your empathy, and to remind you of the importance of being careful, 
to remind you of the importance of not living by fear and to remind you of the importance of the task that we have been invited to participate in. I'm going to invite Beck in a moment just to wrap up our service. But before we do, let me just, I'll pray for us. But again, before I do that, remind you about The Big Three. Uh, The Big Three is a midweek podcast uh, where we deal with three big questions that were raised from this Sunday's message. Uh, We didn't do it last week for all sorts of reasons, but we're back on deck this week. And I figured, I don't know, Christians and conspiracies, there may be a question or two uh, that you may have. The link will come up in the online chat. And for those of you here, you see the QR code there. It usually comes out on Wednesday afternoons. Matt, the uh, host, is back on deck, so we'll definitely be good to go this week dealing with Christians and conspiracies. If you snap the QR code or hit the link, what will happen is you will be taken to an app called Slido. And uh, on Slotto, you can ask any question that you want, but you can also see the questions that other people have actually put in. And if they have asked your question or something close enough, you can actually like it or upvote it, and we'll be able to see kind of how popular various questions are, and that's kind of helpful for us. And then listen out for the big three anywhere you listen to podcasts, usually on Wednesday afternoon, for our attempt to answer them. Uh, And it's not actually um, about trying to answer them as much as it is about engaging us in discipleship. So that we don't just leave a Sunday sermon on Sunday, but we actually revisit it in the middle of the week to kind of go, oh yeah, that's right. What are we thinking about? What are we grappling with? And to take it a little bit further. So let me pray for us and then Beck will wrap up our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can place our trust and our faith in you. We thank you that there is, that there is some evidence for our faith, that it is a reasonable faith. But mostly we thank you that we can trust you, that you have our future, that you have our present, and that as we proceed through life, we can then do so without fear. I pray that you would uh, keep us on mission, on task, on purpose this week, and that we might be those who are aware, perhaps, of some of the blind spots that we have, that we might be very careful in who we listen to Uh, which voices we allow to be prominent in our lives. I pray that for those of us who know people, family, and friends who have perhaps kind of gone and fallen down a conspiracy rabbit hole, that you would grant to us empathy and compassion, but also perhaps the opportunity to talk about the aspects of faith that are so important to both of us. So we commit ourselves into your hands, ask for your blessing upon us. For we ask you in Jesus' name. We live in suspicious times and with access to more information and misinformation than at nearly any point in human history. And while conspiracy theories are not necessarily new, the global digital village makes them so much more prevalent and virulent than ever before. As followers of Jesus, invited into the divine purpose, we must be careful and not give in to fear as we carry on our great project. Don't forget to join us for the Big Three podcast this week, a weekly podcast that unpacks three big questions raised by this week's sermon. This is another way that we seek to put our faith into practice. Matt, Jess, and I will be sitting down to think some more about Christians and conspiracies, and we'd love for you to join us. You can find the Big Three wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us again for this week's sermon. If you'd like to join us for for one of our Sunday services, you can do so by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au at 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time each and every Sunday. God bless.